This is Sebasti Show here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. This is Dan Sung with Subversity. Uh, today we're going to be talking with Paul Shannon, who is an advocate and an activist uh, working on reforming sex laws. Uh, welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you very much, Dan. Um, Paul, how did you get involved in this, uh, and what are you trying to um, what are you advocating? Well, um, this area of sex offender laws and what's happening in the country around sex offender issues is is something that's uh, completely foreign to me uh, up until, you know, eight or nine years ago. Um, my main interests and expertise are in completely different areas, um, mainly on political events and on U.S. foreign policy. And uh, I'm a teacher uh, in a college. So um, I really did not want to deal with this issue at all um, because it's not an area of uh, I, I don't, it's not an area that in the past I felt very comfortable dealing with because of my lack of uh, lack of knowledge. And so until around 1999, I would just um, kind of ignore stories I would hear or uh, see in the media. Uh, concerning uh, sex offenders and what's what the laws were, uh, how laws were changing, and how sex offenders were being um, portrayed. But by the late 90s, it just became clear that um, a major hysteria uh, was developing in the country. And as a person trying to understand uh, how our society works and how it could be changed to make it a place where we could. Uh, we could kind of enjoy each other more and uh, live live uh, in a socially just society. Uh, I just uh, realized I had to get involved in this area and start to start to learn about it. So, in 1999, a group of us got together and tried to challenge the the laws that were being passed in Massachusetts regarding sex offender registries, uh, lifetime civil commitment, and several other laws. And uh, we had a chance by having a great day of hearings at the at the state legislature to have experts from around the country come in and uh, provide research on uh, on sex offender issues and on um, treatment of, of sex offenders, of how uh, the sex offender um, issue itself was was being used to uh, to ensnare people who pose no danger to anybody. And uh, we had a great hearing and collected a lot of good research. Unfortunately, uh, as as you know, Dan, uh, and I'm sure as many of your listeners know and, and maybe agree, um, there's just no openness uh, among decision makers in the society and also no openness among large sections of the population to actually look at this issue objectively. There's just so much uh, hysteria and fright and uh, misinformation and ignorance and uh, hatred out there on these issues that people just can't uh, can't see what we're doing to our own society, how we're devouring ourselves and really, I think, really harming our children tremendously, uh, to say nothing of, of ruining the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people. So uh, that effort, I started to get interested, I say, in 1999, and that interest has continued of tried to stay on top of uh, all these news stories that come out constantly about one new sexual predator out there and um, just uh, the buildup of, of fear and misunderstanding that's taking place. So, again, a few of us from the 1999 effort got together and just decided we had to put out a statement to try to get people to give something to people who were feeling the same way we did, uh, that something major and something terrifying and something very destructive is going on here, give them something to rally around. And so we developed this uh, this statement uh, and you you have written an article in Counterpunch in the July 10th, uh, 2007 edition of Counterpunch, which is an online magazine. And um, why, why were you surprised that they published it? Uh, no, I think I think Counterpunch is is, int- is open to carrying uh, controversial issues, and uh, we were happy that they that they carried it. The purpose of the article is to to lay out a view of sex offender issues. Uh, and to point out the real, uh, real problems uh, of related to the way that we're dealing with sex offender, sex offenders, and people who are accused of being sex offenders, uh, to, to lay that out in this article, uh, to give people an alternative narrative 
a different way of looking at the whole issue um, that points out uh, better ways of, of approaching this issue and, and the need to fundamentally change the way the country looks at, uh, at sex offender issues. So we were happy to have that that was published. Uh, we've had a tremendous response because following the article also published was the, uh, the statement uh, that we have uh, that we're asking people around the country uh, to sign on to called Reform Sex Offender Laws Now. And what are the points in that uh, petition? Well, the, the petition itself uh, kind of lays out, uh, kind of examines what we call a panic around vaguely defined sexual dangers. Um, and that panic is, is uh, fostered in, in the media uh, by district attorneys around the country and in the general public. Um, and we lay out some of the chilling facts of how many people are are now labeled sex offenders who have to register of the numbers of people being civilly committed uh, of the fact that many of these people uh, pose absolutely no danger at all of the fact that uh, most of this is being driven by the fa- by people feeling sex offenders pose a danger to their children while most registered sex offenders actually pose no danger to children whatsoever their offenses are are not related to children. And so uh, it, it lays out kind of the, the ABCs of our viewpoint uh, on what we call the panic around sex offender issues. And it tries to deal objectively with the issue of uh, pedophilia and how that term is constantly misused and, uh, and used to terrify people uh, in our society uh, and that it's very, very misunderstood. And so uh, at the end, we call for changes uh, in, in the approach that the country is taking to sex offender issues, um, namely abolishing all provisions of state and federal sex offender registries that publicly shame offenders, um, because that's what these sex offender registries do. They, they create an underclass of hated people that are driven from one city and town to another. And it's, it's just a tragedy what's going on. So we, we, we lay out... Um, uh, our position on issues of lifetime civil commitment, on uh, how to st- the need to stop public vilification and demonization of people labeled sex offenders, whether they've actually ever done anything or not, because the, la- the demonization uh, applies to anyone even accused, whether falsely or not, mm-hmm. of, uh, of some type of sexual deviance. And uh, so that's another important issue. Uh, certainly we push decriminalizing consensual sexual activities among teenagers. Uh, teenagers, especially uh, young teenagers now, if they have sexual contact with each other, are called violent rapists. They have to register on the registries. People may be familiar with the poor guy up in Maine who was killed because he was on the sex offender registry because 20 years ago or a long time ago at least he had consensual sex with his girlfriend and that's illegal that's called rape in our society it's called violence in our society therefore he had to register and people considered him a not knowing the real story considered him a dangerous predator and went out and killed him hmm. so what, what's happening out there uh, is absolutely incredible just since writing this article we get calls over the phone of people, of, of relatives of sex offenders, of people who have been accused of being, who have been accused of sexual offenses, who have done nothing, uh, of teachers being given sentences because uh, dirty pictures came up on the computer that was in their classroom, even though they had nothing to do with it. Huh. You see the situation in Georgia developing right now of this young black kid given 22 years in prison because when he was 17, he had sex with his 15-year-old girlfriend that was completely consensual. I mean, the horror stories out there, and things are going on out there that I was not even aware of, and uh, people are suffering, just suffering terribly. How, how do you react to the, how do you respond to the people argue that these are, that, the, that for every uh, innocent person, there must be dozens of people that are guilty? Well, it would be interesting to find out what those, uh, you know, what those statistics are, because the typical um, ritual is that someone is accused of some type of sex offense, especially if it's if the person is accused of an offense in, involving a teenager. Yeah. Um, that person is then um, their pictures put all over the television set, 
they are dropped from their job, their accuser is always labeled a victim, whether the whether it's truthful or not, <laughs> uh, and the person's life is destroyed. I mean, we saw this uh, with the with the kids at uh, you know down at Duke University. Um, you know, everyone was convinced that they had raped this uh, adult woman. In this case, right, uh, their lives were destroyed. Uh, marches at the school against them, demanding. More, you know, more vicious laws against people like this. And it turns out the whole thing was false. Um, do people really care whether it was false or not? Do people Are people willing to look at the implications of that? Um, they're not. You know, this just kind of, all of this, the true and the false, just kind of goes goes down as building the hysteria that exists so that we can't, we can't even distinguish between the true and the false. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, another key area that has really whipped up uh, hatred of sex offenders is, of course, the priest crisis. Um, yeah, because of the way, because yeah. of the way the priest crisis, called the pedophile priest crisis, although in very few cases is pedophilia even involved, uh, the, the term really whips up sentiment and it, it completely diverts our attention from what actually did happen. Because of the way it's been handled, we don't know actually what did happen and why. And what didn't happen, and why it was uh, portrayed as happening. I know priests who have finally been exonerated mm -hmm. after their accusers, that they call victims, had collected their money from the church. Huh. Now, this is a minority of situations, but it's a lot of people involved in this who are falsely accused. People walked off with money, they're called victims. What they are is liars. How many people? Well, in the Boston area, I believe the number is somewhere between 10 and 15 priests who have been exonerated. Hmm. Uh, but the problem is they're only exonerated after a four-year ordeal of impoverishing themselves, trying to get lawyers to force the church mm -hmm. to actually examine the charges made against them. Uh, in most cases, my guess is, although we don't know because, again, the way it's handled is, you know, this terrible thing happened, and there certainly were terrible things that did happen, but uh, this terrible thing happened, and we're not going to look at any of the facts. We're not going to find out why things happened. We're just going to label all these priests as demons and get rid of them, make sure they never see another child again. So you have, out of that situation, you have uh, the guilty and the non-guilty are all thrown together. You have people who... Uh, have committed minor violations of young people thrown to, lumped together with people who have really committed v serious violations of young people. And you have people who once in their entire career uh, engaged in an inappropriate activity, not sex, but just inappropriate touching or something like that, uh, one time uh, thrown together with people that, uh, that were involved in, in, in inappropriate activity constantly. And you have people uh, unable to get a trial because the hysteria is so palpable that uh, evidence, the lack of uh, supporting evidence, the lack of physical evidence is irrelevant to the getting people convicted. So you have some people getting convicted of crimes they simply did not commit uh, because no jury and no judge is willing to let someone go off who has been accused. And uh, this is a very, very serious situation. Do you think... But, but uh, you know, just to follow up on that, so you have a lot of lives being destroyed, I think, unfairly. How many, we don't know, because, again, you never find out what really happened in these, uh, you know, in, in, in these things. But to me, the main harm is being done society-wide. In other words, I'm not looking so much at the particular... Uh, uh, people who are falsely accused, of whom there were a lot, but um, clearly many serious things happened. I'm looking at the impact that the way we're dealing with this has on the whole society. I'm looking at the impact it has on relationships between young people and, and adults. Mm -hmm. um, one, of the things, one of the reasons I got involved in this is because I was hearing stories from other adults just kind of telling me of how, for instance, uh, you know, this one guy who runs a facility where you hold parties. Uh, we were exam we were looking at for a place to hold a party from from um, for Alyssa, my partner, and um, 
he told us that uh, they just had a party there with kids, and uh, none of the men would have anything to do with the little girls. They were going down a fire pole or something, uh, and someone was supposed to catch them at the bottom. No, no men would be willing to do it because they were afraid that by touching a little girl, someone would accuse them of a sex offense. I've had a state legislator here in Massachusetts telling me that her husband will have absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with children uh, because of the danger of being falsely accused. So you have this type of phenomenon spreading around the country. You have, in the Catholic Church, for all its problems, one of the main positive experiences that I had growing up in the Catholic Church uh, was the fact that you would develop close relationships with priests, uh, great friendships. Uh, I just had many, many of them. I probably knew more priests than anyone else in the country, between relatives, and we were just so steeped in the Catholic Church. And there's an awful lot uh, of negative stuff involved in that. But that was the one saving grace that uh, priests and young people had friendships. That's no longer possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Priests are not allowed to have friendships with young people anymore. It is policy to prevent that from happening. And this is happening not just within the church, but, you know, society-wide. And it is, it is just such a tragedy. The other dimension is, is how this is ruining the, the lives of young people. So many young people being rounded up now for, for having uh, oral sex or for having in, what's called an illegal sexual contact with uh, their girlfriends or boyfriends. Students up here at a prestigious Milton High School were cast into this huge scandal because uh, they had oral sex. Now, a lot of this behavior is certainly uh, compulsive or driven by peer group pressure and all that. I'm not saying it's the greatest thing in the world, but to demonize these people and to turn them into sex offenders, to turn them into pedophiles for doing things that uh, you know, most adults today did while they were growing up as adolescents is absolutely preposterous and horrifying to me. They become labeled child perpetrators. That's right. You, you, you take people who have, are doing things that, whether people like it or not, uh, you know, adolescents have been doing for eons, and, and you define it as a violent sex crime, and now these people, not only do they face uh, criminal penalties, but they have to sign up as sex offenders, which means they are not allowed to live in many p- parts of the country. They are not allowed to have a job. And because th- their names are now public, um, they are subject to public vilification. And w- I've had some sex, of- sex offenders call me up and just tell me what their lives are like. I have people from the American Civil Liberties Union calling me saying, what are we going to do? This guy, you know, they, they won't let him live anywhere. They won't let him have a job. Do you have any resources to help him? You know, this is ridiculous, and this is a tragedy that's going on there. And, of course, it's not just people labeled sex offenders who get caught up in all this, but their families' lives are destroyed, too, because their families are, are made outcast. And it's, it, the thing just builds on itself. Even in um, in California, even the gay people who were like cruising in the fifties or forties or thirties, uh, and you know got arrested in a tea room or uh, restroom, they ended up putting on sex offender lists uh, fifty years later. Uh, yeah. And so the ACLU actually in that case, in the California case, I think did go to court and uh, get them uh, get them removed. Well, not here in Massachusetts. Retroactivity hmm. is a, one of the main principles in our laws. So people who did things and, you know, very minor things in some cases, or actually in most cases, very minor things, um, if, you, if you consider kissing someone who didn't want to be kissed, um, you know, a major crime, that's another thing. But for people that did that type of thing, they, they would cop a plea. Oh, right, right. And they would think that was the end of it. And all of a sudden, 20 years later or 15 years later, they pass a law that says they have to register as a sex criminal. <laughs> It's uh, it's it's quite uh, it's quite sad. Have you uh, in Massachusetts? Do they uh, mandate uh, Depo-Provera or injection to uh, lower the so-called sex drive? No. Oh. Not, not at least not that I'm aware of. Because um, they they did that in California, but they but uh, I don't know if they've actually started injecting people as a condition to get parole yet. 
well, I know I got a call from one guy, and he has to pay $250 a month to have a, a lie detector test every month. Um, for, what? You know, for what? For what? He's on the sex offender registry. To lie about? I mean, to, to be able to live in a particular area, he has to take a sex a, a lie detector test every month to say that he has not molested any kid. <laughs> he has to pay for it out of his own pocket, so he's impoverished because, of course, he can't get a job because no employer will uh, hire him. I mean, what employer is going to hire someone when, if anything ever does happen or doesn't happen, but someone is accused of it? Uh, you know, people can go to you and say, "Well, you you hired the person, therefore you're responsible." You're liable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, what insurance company is going to cover <laughs> institutions that are willing to hire sex offenders, even though those sex offenders, you know, the huge, vast majority of them pose no danger to anybody. If you look at the actual offenses they they did, or even for those who did do serious and harmful things who have gone through the treatment and who are doing everything uh everything possible to uh you know to make sure that they're that they integrate positively into the community. We don't allow that to happen. How about the argument that they are they're recidivists, that they return to the crime and do it again? Well a lot of research has been done on this and, and generally um, sex offenders as a group have actually a very low rate of recidivism. There are particular types of sex offenses where there's uh where repeat activity is is uh, more likely, mm. uh, but overall, if you take sex offenders as a group, their rate of recidivism is actually lower than for for other crimes, and and it could be even lower still. First of all, much of this activity, do we really want to consider someone who had sex with their girlfriend a, a dangerous sex offender, and are they liable to reoffend? What does that mean? That's insane. Uh, these people, uh, you know, later on, like like everyone else, got married, have have children, and and then they have to register, a, a, you know, on a registry for something that um, millions and millions of other teenagers have done, including uh, the legislators, the very legislators that are passing these draconian laws. Would these would these legislators passing these laws like to uh, have everyone look at the activity they engaged in as young people? Uh, <laughs> and and to have they're all passing these retroactive laws that you can be uh, there's no statute of limitations on most of these crimes anymore. Mm. Therefore, if they had sex uh, with their 15 year old girlfriend or 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 uh, had some type of alterca sexual altercation, uh, big fight or something with a girlfriend, uh, you know th those things are fair game now for prosecution. You would think the target would be mostly gay sex, but it's not right. It's not necessarily. Just gay sex. They're no, it's not gay sex, sex, but but basically the same uh, uh, the same uh, frame, the same perceptual frame uh, has been taken from uh, homosexuality, say that the way it existed, say twenty, thirty, forty years ago, and applied now to um, to these new sex offenses. It's it's the same types of feelings. Just as people used to consider all gay people, um, you know, back in the 50s to be disgusting, demonic creatures that you would want your children and everyone else to stay away from, that whole set of feelings and beliefs has now been attributed to uh, sex offenders, particularly to using the term pedophile. And um, it's really just a an updating of old hysterias around sexuality that we've had. Uh, but this one is extremely powerful because you get into the area of protecting children, uh, which all of us want to do, you know. <laughs> I, I consider the purpose of, one of the main purposes of my life is to make life better for kids. Uh, even though I don't have any kids myself, I had to go through that and I know what I went through as a kid. And uh, I just want, uh, I, you know, all of us are working, whether it's for social justice or whatever, it's so that young people can have great lives. And certainly being violated sexually, uh, you know, is just a terrible experience uh, to have. And we want to make sure that uh, we do things that effectively prevent that from happening. But what I'm saying is that the concern for children, while it appears to be the reason why we are passing all these laws and why we are hating all these people and why we want to give the death penalty 
to people we call pedophiles, even though we don't even know what a pedophile is. The um, you know the reason we are doing these has nothing really to do with protecting children, and in fact, many children are getting caught up in this web. You know, we have in Massachusetts uh, four-year-olds being charged with sexual harassment. Four-year-olds. Um, four-year-olds. Wow. wow. Uh, you know, uh, we have people, young teenagers, on these sex offender registries. Um, you know, this is <laughs> in the name of protecting children. <laughs> we are really endangering the ability of children to grow up and have happy lives. You and we're certainly we're yeah. certainly cutting off children from the possibility of the positive types of relationships with adults that children absolutely need because any adult, you know, is going to be very reluctant to have a close relationship uh, with a, a young person. You say that the, you said the term pedophile has been misused um, by the media. Uh, how has it been misused? Well, as you know, I believe the accurate uh, definition of pedophile is someone who is attracted sexually primarily to um, prepubescent uh, young people. Um, it doesn't refer to whether anyone has ever done anything or not. So, in my own opinion, most pedophiles have never harmed, have never engaged in sexual contact with uh, with any child. But there's that predisposition for that. Just as for a gay person, just because you're primarily attracted to people of the same sex does not mean you've ever had sexual contact with anyone of the same sex. Or if you're heterosexual, just doesn't mean you've ever had contact with someone of the opposite sex. So um, the term refers to, as I understand it, I may be wrong, an orientation. It does not refer to anything that anyone has engaged in in terms of any type of behavior. Um, but the term pedophile is used all the time to refer to uh, adult men, or I should say men who are older than 18, having sexual contact with uh, with teenagers. And that, that in itself is, is a complete... It does pedophilia does not refer to teenagers. It, it refers to younger children than that. So the number of pedophiles who are sex offenders is a tiny, minuscule proportion of of all sex offenders. Um, but the term gets used all the time to apply to to just about everybody. For instance, in the priest in the priest crisis, um, most of almost to my knowledge, almost all the people accusing priests of um, inappropriate sexual behavior uh, were in their teens. Right. But yet the, the, the whole scandal is called the pedophile priest. Exactly. Scandal. And that, the, the term pedophile is the loaded term today, just like in the 40 years ago, homosexual was the loaded term. When I was growing up, uh, if anyone said that someone was a homosexual, we would have nothing to do with them. Whatever they said, we would not listen to them. Uh, we just considered them uh, outcasts and felt sorry for them. I personally felt sorry for them, but I, of course I didn't even know what they were. <laughs> that's that's typical of all these hysterias. We don't really even know what we're talking about. Um, and that, that set of uh, feelings of creating this outcast group, something that no one would ever want to be part of, and uh, you know that that's certainly going on right now. And instead of homosexual, the term being used to, uh, to do, uh, of course it wasn't homosexual, it was other terms <laughs> that, were, that were around then. Um, the term pedophile is today the, uh, the real, uh, the word that just evokes the, the uh, hysteria. Yeah, we're talking with Paul Shannon, who's uh, trying to get uh, people to sign up to protest uh, these new um, kind of draconian sex uh, offender laws. Uh, this is Subversity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and on the web at KUCI.org. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California nor the management of KUCI. This is Dan Sang, the host. Um, Paul, I wanted to uh, wonder if you could focus um, the discussion now on the reaction of the gay community. Uh, I mean, you said that... Um, People t used to treat homosexuals as uh, some something they wouldn't want to talk about or even get to know. Uh, isn't it true that many gay people uh, also treat pedophiles as somebody or accuse pedophiles as somebody they don't want to talk about? Well, that's that's my impression from the outside. I've you know I've, I've never 
I'm not familiar with the gay community uh, in terms of as a as a social movement. That's not been part of my background at all. Um, uh, you know, outside of going to a few gay pride marches uh, to support the movement, I've, I've, uh, it's just a world that I'm completely unfamiliar with. But what what did strike me is that people who consider themselves spokespersons uh, for uh, the gay community in the Boston area uh, ran for the hills uh, whenever, or I should say run for the hills whenever a gay person or a straight person is accused of sex abuse. They, they, have, they, they don't come out and say, well, we should look at these uh, charges accurately. We should see, we should make sure that the person has their rights so that they're not judged guilty mm-hmm. um, if they uh, actually didn't do anything. There's just a complete running away from the issue. And, I, you know, to me what's going on there, looking at it as a sociologist, is that you just have this uh, feeling where gay people feel particularly vulnerable here because of the stereotypes of gay people being sex abusers of children. Right. And what they want to do is distance themselves uh, from that, uh, and um, and and therefore, I, I feel they abandon a lot of uh, gay men, particularly who uh, who have been accused of behavior, and and don't say uh, these people should have their legal rights, and they should not be uh, they should not be automatically considered guilty, and uh, they should whatever happened, they should be treated as human beings. And if they did something uh, wrong, uh, they should take responsibility for that, and uh, you know should be dealt with in an appropriate way. Uh, but instead, my experience is the gay community is absolutely silent, and if anything, jumps on the bandwagon of this hysteria. And how about the uh, civil liberties communities, uh, ACLU, and other groups? Well, uh, um, we worked with them on the 1999 hearings, and they have a very uh, you know, they're just terrific in terms of the laws themselves because they actually have the research that shows that these laws uh, violate basic constitutional rights uh, that Americans have. And so from that point of view, uh, testifying about the constitutionality of the laws and of human rights, they are just terrific. It's difficult because... Um, Many people in the civil liberties community have the same feeling about someone labeled sex offender as anybody else. Right. But at least they are, you know, they've done more work than anyone else, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of actual practical work at challenging these laws on the basis, you know, on a very narrow basis. But they don't provide an alternative way of. they don't provide an understanding of why sexual violation does take place and of why our society chooses to deal with that reality in a hysterical framework and to create a panic around it. You see, just because we're saying that a hysteria exists does not mean we're saying that these things don't happen, uh, that, that uh, real harm is not done to children. Of course it is. What we're saying is that the best way to approach that is to understand the problem as well as possible, to understand why things happen, and to take actions that will actually correct uh, the behavior and and reduce the amount of sexual violation of uh, young people that takes place. Um, That's not what's going on, because once you put it in the context of a hysteria, then you're dealing with a world made up of decent people and demons mm-hmm. and the solution becomes to wipe out all the demons uh, we see this operating in the area of the uh, war on terrorism as well for sure yeah certainly the, the, you know some horrendous things happened on september 11th uh, but what we have done is to deal with that particular problem in the context of a hysteria and therefore we in, we sit, think that the solution is war against Afghanistan and Iraq, and you can see the catastrophic results of thinking that that is a solution to terrorism. Well, the 
what we have done is engaged in another scorched earth policy here in the area of sex offenses, a very real problem, uh, but one of many problems that children face, one of many areas where children are being traumatized, the humiliation that that uh, children live live with who grow up in desperate poverty, whether in the rural areas of our country or in the cities, this is a traumatizing experience too. But the very people passing these laws, these draconian laws on sex offenses, don't really care about children being harmed by things we could easily do something about. Instead, all of our attention is focused on uh, sexuality and children rather than on all these other real dangers that are posed to children that we really could do things about. So this is what we're arguing, that, it, that what we need is good research on sexuality to understand what type of sexual behavior is harmful and to do what we can to lessen that harm and to make the changes in our society that will lessen that harm. If you have someone who is a violent uh, sexual person who is harming people, of course you're going to deal with that person. But you're not going to deal with that person as a demon. You're going to deal with that person objectively because you really want to stop this behavior rather than just think that you're wiping out bad people. Mm -hmm. You see, so this is... This, we're trying to change the, the discussion here in general. And from my own point of view is what I want to do is see how this, uh, this approach toward sex offenses and seeing and demonizing people uh, affects the lives of each one of us and how we look at our own sexuality and the things about ourselves that we feel ashamed of uh, and our ability to... Uh, to live better lives and to to ex explore who we are better. I mean, this is affecting all of us uh, in a very very negative way. How, how is it affecting the families of the people that are incarcerated? Well, it's it's not so much the. I mean, certainly there are people incarcerated and they deal they take on all this shame because remember, most of these families, I believe you will find, and I don't have the research right now on this. I only have anecdotal information. Sure. Most of these families have the same feelings about sex offenders and pedophiles as everybody else does. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they are accused of being one of these demons. I see. Right. And all of a sudden, their relative that they have grown up with and know, okay, I guess they did some really bad things, but we know that that's not who they are, the only thing that they are. We know them as a loving father. We know them as someone who's worked in the community. Uh, you know, we, we know them as someone who's done really wonderful things. We know them as a great person. Now this person is a demon. Uh, and it, I think, you know, it's a, it's a very devastating experience. But because the families themselves uh, are overwhelmed in the same way all of us are by the panic that's taking place they have no way of understanding the situation they're in and what they will generally try to do i think you'll find is to say yes sex offenders are evil terrible people but my relative is different from them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not seeing that everyone else's relative is different from their image of a sex offender too <laughs> uh -huh. so do you um but i did i did yeah. have a, just uh Three days ago, a, a, yeah. a, a wife called me up um, and just, uh, you know, just an awful situation. This guy had been, uh, of course, you never know the truthfulness of anything, but sure. um, this guy had been sexually violated as a kid, had gone to special places and uh, to deal with that and to try to get through this and uh, uh, had been very successful, found tremendous support, and then... Um, crossed the line uh, evidently with one of his own kids hmm. and um, the wife thought the best thing to do was to report it thinking that they would get help as a family to making sure that the guy could keep it together uh, based on his own experience as a child and how you know he was struggling uh, to get through that and uh, instead guy sent off to jail the family is destroyed and you know her life her life is uh, you know she's just uh, devastated 
it seems that movies, uh, the film um, and uh, the theater has dealt with this much better than in reality because you actually get to see films where this kind of stuff happens and they treat it more kind of um, matter of fact rather than hysterically. Yeah, especially historically, but I think more recently you'll see less and less of those films uh, because it just, uh, you know, it's just uh, forbidden to uh, look into this. Look at what happened to Bruce Rind, you know, an excellent sex researcher who tried to find out what, what type of sexual activity as teenagers is harmful to people and what is not, uh, or whether all sexual activity to teenagers was harmful. And, you know, it led to a tremendous stir throughout the country. The uh, American Psychological Association, I believe it was, or one of those associations cut all kinds of flack from Congress and you know, there's not going to be any research, <laughs> any money for that type of research anymore to find out what's really going on. Um, and so I think I think all different institutions are being scared off right now. Um, but yeah, I mean there there still have been some some good films uh, that at least you know raise these issues. So at least we can think about them, uh, even if we don't have very good answers right now. Um, but th- th- this situation, th- things are closing in very, very much. Uh, you know, on the internet, uh, tremendous amounts of censorship on the internet, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and also, of course, self-censorship. Since most of the websites are run by uh, the police to try to catch people who have feelings they're not supposed to have. Is there a way to stop the the um, law enforcement from putting up these pictures of uh, alleged uh, offenders? Uh, no, because they're forced. To, the police forces are, are given the mandate to do this by by the laws that the legislators are passing. Mm. Uh, the, it's not the police forces that are deciding to do it, to my knowledge. I mean, I'm sure some police, you know, really are out there um, on their own. But but it's really the public and the legislators that are to blame on this. In other words, the people that are to blame are us. We are the ones responsible for this mess because of the attitudes we have, because of the prejudices we have, and because of the fact that we like to live in ignorance rather than face the truth. And it is up to us, as responsible citizens, to look at issues objectively and to come up with real solutions uh, instead of, uh, you know, creating all these different groups that have to be annihilated. (laughs) I mean, they're actually passing, considering, I think some states have actually passing laws that some sex offenses that do not involve murder uh, would punish by the death penalty. Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, yeah. And, and, and this is catching on more and more. You're all for, everyone is familiar with the fact that more and more towns are passing ordinances to say that sec, you know, sex offenders can't live here. So well, the, in, in some yeah. states, what that means is someone who urinated in public 15 years ago <laughs> and therefore is labeled a sex offender <laughs> can't live there. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Is it the whole town, or is it only uh, you can't live near a school or near a park? Well, they all have that you can't live near a school or a park where children are. I'm talking about the whole town. <laughs> town. You know, here in Marlboro, I think it was Marlboro, Massachusetts, you know, and then they, they try to modify it a little bit so you could live in this uh, little corner of the town or something. Hmm. Uh, but the, the real push is to supposedly drive all sex offenders from the town not realizing, of course, that the people who stay in the town are, <laughs> are doing all kinds of things to kids, possibly. Um, but again, it's all part of this this basic uh, hysterical structure where we are good people in this town, and therefore we drive all the bad people out. And when we do that, we are safe. Well, that that way of thinking is absolutely absurd. And, uh, you know, to believe that is, you know, you're out of your mind. So it's blaming the other, blaming people outside the family, for instance. Well, it's always focused on strangers, but, of course, most sex offenses against young people, especially uh, children, uh, are committed by by caregivers or or, uh, or family members. By people they know. Yes, yes. But those people are being, you know, this, this hysteria is so broad that those people are all being thrown in jail, too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and I, you know, I'm not saying the other situation where this would be hidden, as in the past, is a good situation either. But to destroy families and uh, to demonize dads, and 
you know, take away the, 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 the means of support for that family so they're impoverished, so you can throw the dad in prison for a long period of time and then ruin the rest of the family's life with the registry if he ever does get out of jail in 15 years. I mean, uh, this is kind of a crazy way to, uh, to help children and families. Is there a way to get out of a registry uh, after you're on it? Um, I, in, I think it varies from one state to another. In Massachusetts, I don't believe there is. What they have is different, three different levels of classification, and each different level means that uh, you know there's there's more and more public uh, notification of where you live and everything. Uh, but I believe what happens is because these boards are so afraid of someone uh, doing something in the future that they you know just tend to classify everyone as as uh, the most dangerous level. So that if something does happen, they can say, "See, we classified this guy correctly, and therefore it's not our fault." So there could be a day when they, you know, if they had put, you know, if they could actually capture what you're thinking, they could actually put you in jail if you're looking at the wrong person. I mean, I know that there, there are people that watch on the on the public beaches. If they see somebody looking at somebody's kid, then they could report them. Yes, yes, and I'm sure that type of thing is going on. Um, and and therefore, you know, it just creates it just uh, freezes up people in the society. It makes it impossible for people to relate naturally to other people. I know teachers that have been uh, suspended because they uh, like one uh, student of mine uh, was uh, guest teaching, uh, student teaching at a school, and found a camera in a cupboard and took it out and started taking pictures because he found this camera sitting in a cupboard. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got suspended just for that. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't surprise me. The thing becomes so crazy. One thing we're hoping to do on our webpage um, is to have a place where these types of case studies, uh, all these types of things that are ha- actually happening out there to people, uh, can be compiled, you know? Right, so that's a good idea. A, can, so people can get a real sense of how their attitudes that they think are so good for children are actually ruining the lives of children uh, and ruining the lives of families and completely undermining uh, the social fabric that keep that holds us all together by creating fear and loathing throughout the entire society. I mean, my Goodness gracious, every single TV show now is about the need to not trust every anybody <laughs> because anyone might be a pedophile. <laughs> uh, and therefore, you ought to put your children in a closet and make sure that they never see the light of day because of all the dangers that they face. Well, the dangers today are no greater than they were when I was growing up. And sure, there are dangers out there, and, and we do have to deal with them better than we did in the past, but certainly not through a not through a crusade, not through a, a mm-hmm. panic like this. They used to uh, teach uh, kids, I suppose, uh, to distinguish between good and bad touch. But now every touch is bad. Yeah, I mean, t- uh, if you're a kid and you're going through these workshops they do in schools now, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, basically, my understanding is, is you basically learn to suspect any adult who likes you <laughs> as having ulterior motives. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, can you imagine how devastating this is? I mean, the only way we survived growing up in the craziness that we grew up in uh, was from the fact that through it all, um, there was a social fabric there. There was a community for us mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. we trusted we depended on other adults to take care of us and to give us a ride, for instance. Well, how many people today are going to be willing to see a kid on thumbing on the side of the road and pick them up, <laughs> or to uh, you know to uh, to bring them someplace uh, where they're alone with them? You know, I mean, this is this yeah. is a tragedy. This is what society is based on. It's based on trust, and it's not to say that the trust should be you know can be uh, naive. But uh, anything that builds trust among people um, is is a positive thing. That the key to rehabilitation of people who have hurt children sexually is that uh, 
is that they're integrated into a society in which they are become trustworthy again. Uh, this is this is the key, and uh, you don't do this in a stupid or naive way. But uh, this is where we have to go. Otherwise, if we just continue to hack away at trust, you know, every American family, every especially every suburban American family, just feels the whole world is out to get them, whether it's terrorists or pedophiles or whatever, and they have no sense of how their behavior in the world is harming people. They have no sense of this at all. They have no sense about how their behavior is harming people in Haiti, how their behavior is harming people in Egypt. They don't even want to look into that. They have no idea how the laws that they're passing in this country are hurting the lives of other people and creating a type of society which, in which we will all be completely afraid of each other. Uh, today, j just basic human interaction, especially between adults and young people, is, is an act of resistance, for heaven's sakes against this uh, this onslaught that we're facing. Anyway, that's that's how I feel about it. You know, I can feel these things going on around me, and it, it just saddens me, absolutely saddens me terribly, um, because I just see that the good parts of my childhood and adolescence are being taken away from, from kids today. I, I'm glad you brought up the, the, the issue of um, our relations with people abroad, because... The Bush administration has been uh, insisting that if you want to get foreign aid on AIDS education, for instance, you need to agree to um, an abstinence kind of uh, program or believe in abstinence for in your in your programs. Right, and because we know all these people passing these laws were all abstinent. Right, and so <laughs> we are enforcing our own kind of ideology. I know George Bush was saying uh, recently that you know it's a war of ideology against Al Qaeda. But it's his particular ideology, actually, his uh, kind of group of uh, right-wing kind of neocon ideology that is uh, being foisted on the world. Yeah, well, you know, all that is, uh, you know, there are two things going on there. You know, one is that, uh, you know, certain uh, religious and ideological groups within within the United States have tremendous power in this administration and probably in all administrations now. Um to inflict the, uh, you know, the panics and the hysterias that they inflict on themselves on the rest of the world, and therefore uh, our government wants to to do that in order to get their votes and to to maintain popular support. But the the main thing going on is, is these policies that they're, they're based on ideology. But the the real goal here, if you just look at the the papers that these people themselves write, is to basically just steal these, this country and and turn them over to very powerful and and wealthy interests in this country. That's certainly what's going on in Iraq. Uh, and the ideology is just used to, you know, to justify that. But what makes it impossible for us to look at the real problems that do confront us, whether they're problems of um, foreign policy, whether they're problems of, um, of political violence in the world, or whether they're the problems of, uh, of deviant sexuality, um, real problem is that as Americans we learn from every from the news on TV we learn from TV shows we learn from our leaders that the way you look at a problem is always to see it in terms of good people versus bad people and the solution to every problem is to wipe out the bad people <laughs> and, uh, and and we see this you know just in the criminal justice system in general as a result you know, as a society, we have the high, by far, the highest per capita imprisonment rate of any country on the face of the earth, and we don't see that as any contradiction whatsoever, hmm. because we just see this as as protecting the good people from the bad people. Uh, but you can't draw lines, clear-cut lines between good people and bad people. Um, mm -hmm. People are much more complicated than that, and when you do that. Make the good people think that they're uh, that they have no responsibility to look at how their lives are impacting the rest of the world. So it, it's a real tragedy. But this is what makes it so easy for uh, an administration in Washington that is probably the most criminal and corrupt that has ever existed in the history of the country uh, mm -hmm. to be able to continue to implement their policies. Because anytime anyone raises a question. Uh, about what they're doing and about the tragedy that they're inflicting on this country, to say nothing of Iraq or the other countries. Uh, as soon as they do that, people they they just pull out this uh, mythology, 
uh, of, of, of what the problems are in the world and what you have to do about it. And uh, we all fall in line. And we just say, okay, if you know, you're right, uh, we do have to wipe these people out and uh, go ahead and do it. And uh, let's hope it works. And if it doesn't, then uh, we just haven't wiped enough of them out. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, <laughs> this is a very dangerous approach to social problems. It's, uh, it's, and it's done, in, it's done in, a, in a society. We're just not aware of our own history. We're just not aware of, of sociology. We're just not affair, aware of what's going on in the world. Uh, you know, the poorest cab driver in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, knows more about the world and how it works than we do. Uh, we flee from knowledge of what's going on. Uh, no event happened before the latest press conference. Uh, we're not aware of how some, uh, of certain events are connected to other events. We're not aware of how our support of Osama bin Laden in the 1980s uh, has, is connected to what's happening today. Uh, we're not aware of how our making sure that Saddam Hussein maintained, took power and maintained power in the 1980s is connected to what's happening today. We don't really want to know about these things because they undermine our sense of ourselves as superior and always on the side of good. And until we can break through that and see ourselves objectively as as a people having tremendous potential, uh, but um, but throwing away that potential because we're we're not willing to look at reality objectively. Until you know, as long as that's the case, we're we're in big trouble. It's the arro arrogance of empire. Well, that, that's that's one level of it, and that that uh, you know these belief systems under, you know support uh, support empire, um, and and that's the tragedy. We call it ideology, but we're really dealing with this uh, is witch hunts and hysteria and all this type of thing. How did uh, what kind of uh, activist work did you do be, uh, before you shifted to this topic? Oh, I did. Uh, I worked. You know, on a lot of different social justice issues, uh, the United Farm Workers. Um, I worked uh, as a teacher on, on sociology. Uh, I was in the uh, Catholic seminary for a while. Uh, but probably the main area that I've been working on is, um, you know, in terms overtly is uh Trying to get people to to see the history of our foreign policy and how <laughs> how what's happened in the past is related to what's going on today in Iraq or whatever, and and, and really trying to focus on how the very goals of what we're what this administration is trying to achieve in the world are very much against the the welfare of people in this country. I think more and more people are actually seeing that, which is encouraging. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's what my work is, and. Uh, But but through all that, uh, this area of deviant sexuality and how it uh, causes such fear in the society and how it undermines our ability to apply science to these problems has always been a main concern. So I spend a lot of my my time thinking through those issues and writing about them. I guess because of this hysterical um, uh, hysteria, people can't act rationally. Well, that's that's that that's the problem. I would say not just rationally, but compassionately. Mm. Um, you know, compassion is a is a um, a virtue that is uh, <laughs> on the way out. <laughs> um, we just feel we have to be so tough and uh, so hard on ourselves and on other people. Um, That it's 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 really kind of sad, and ultimately, you know, that's what I, <laughs> my my ultimate goal, of course, is the same as everyone else to try to figure out how, as human beings, we can really reach our full potential and create um, certainly the kind of country that we're really capable of, uh, and, and you know, contribute to to creating a world that we can all be proud of. I mean, that's what it's all about, and um, the the hysteria around sex offenders just undermines. All kinds of good work that could be done, um, because it paralyzes us. It, it, it makes us afraid to uh, to look at things objectively. It makes us afraid to be ourselves. Um, you know, all this labeling that we Im that we impose on others and that are imposed on us just hold us back. You know, from from becoming who we really are. 
And this was the great contribution of the women's movement and the gay movement in the 1960s and 70s. I was never part of either one of them, but I feel I benefited tremendously from either from both of them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it, they they supported people's attempts to find friendships uh, in ways they had never found before to. Um, to um, live out parts of themselves that they had never dared to live before and to uh, establish a community <clears throat> with other people. Um, For sure. That well, was very exciting. And, and, and it's, it's a shame to see much of those movements distorted by these, uh, you know, by, by their involvement in, these, in, in this particular area of uh, punishing sex offenders. Uh, his website, Paul Shannon's website, is www.reformsexoffenderlaws.org. Right. Uh, thank you, Paul, for okay, a very Dan. stimulating discussion. Thank good, you. Good, good I'll keep in touch. You. I'll keep in touch. This is Dan Sang signing off with Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show were not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California nor the management of KUCI.